Hey everybody and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash because feminist activism works. We're your hosts Zora Musa and Happy Mwende Kenyeli. Hi, I'm Zora, the executive director at Mama Cash. And we just discovered that I am a pen user, a pen holder, but not a pen stealer. And it really bothers me when people come into my office and take my pens. And I'm happy the director of programs at Mama Cash. And I'm a stationary lover. So I buy stationary notebooks, pens. And when people take my pens and don't return them, I catch feelings. And I have to hold myself and be like, it's okay. It's just a product. It's just a product. And we're super excited today because for the first time we have a guest. Um, we're super, super excited to be in conversation with Chihiro Hausenbrook. And so, Chihiro, welcome. Hi, I'm Chihiro Hausenbrook, and I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Climate Liberation Block. Um, staying on the theme of stationary stuff, I am so happy with my new Mama Cash Feminist with a to-do list uh, notebook. Uh, I had one and then it was just filling up and then Mama Cash organized an event with uh, My Body is Mine and I got restocked and I'm happy to take more notes. So, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about a pretty popular feminist topic, choice. It's a word that's associated often with abortion rights, but actually the idea is linked to many other feminist issues as well. And it's, the, it's a question we keep returning to in a lot of our work. Where do we exercise choice in our own lives, about our own bodies, and what does that mean for what we're trying to do in the world, How in the, in the ways that we're trying to change the world? Where does choice come into that? And one of my favorite words is contradictions, especially when you're thinking about choice and how very often the choices we make in our lifestyles is actually in direct contradiction with our politics. So Chihira and Zora, Tell me a bit about the contradictions that you feel you hold around your choices, um, particularly today, because we're going to be talking about our politics and our lifestyles. Where do you feel you hold contradictions and you're either struggling to settle them or you're like, ah, that's next year's problem? Ooh, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily find a contradiction in next year's problem, but more... Um, how many choices am I not allowed to make? You know, like what choices mm -hmm. have been taken off the table and am I allowed to talk about them? Um, because a lot of my work revolves around system change and um, the, yeah, the timeline that we're on around climate emergency. It's, it's, it's radical system change that we need pretty uh, right, right now. So yeah, for me, the first trigger with choice is like, oops, Let's talk about all the choices that we do not have, like replacing the government. We can vote for them, but we can't just get rid of them. Um, and yeah, more of that. Yeah, cool. What about you, Zora? I think for me, um, I think choice is an area where, because it's at an individual level, like when I'm thinking about my own choices, um, it gives me a false sense of control. And it makes me feel like I might be doing something that makes a difference. And that's that can um, feel like a good feeling. Right. Um, and it helps personally. It helps me manage the panic around the climate emergency, for example. Right. So I think about like, OK, will I take this mode of transport or that mode of transport? Will I, 
you know, um, stop using plastic straws and start using metal ones and things like this. And it, it gives me a feeling like I'm doing something at least. Um, but I, I think it I think it's uh, it mystifies actually what's actually happening. And so I'm really interested to talk on this episode of Team with Mama Cash about how do we how do we continue to ex- maximize the choices we can make and make good choices within the choice frames that we have, but then actually ask some of the bigger questions that you raised, Jihiro, around what choices are actually being made for us and how do we uh, interrupt that a little bit? Yeah, by choosing to to collectively expand the choices. Mm. <laughs> that is a choice as well, to struggle for those choices and not settle in that comfy, in the comfort zone of the choices you already have. And I think, and I think the the thing for me I struggle around this conversation of choice is I don't I don't have especially when it comes to lifestyle is I didn't grow up with many choices like that wasn't a thing um, that was there so it was actually in my adult life and when I became more active in politics that I realized, oh, and I also lived in a different context when there were lifestyle choices to be made. So when I hear, especially Zora, because she's like, the th- she, she's given me her water guilt. We can talk about that later. Um, and stuff like that or like the straws. I'm like, yeah, I should care about it. And then silence. So I'm curious to mm. hear. I really want to be in this conversation to see where that goes. Mm. So this conversation about choice, I have to say, in this context, leaves me a bit befuddled, confused. Um, so I grew up in a space and in a in a context where we didn't have much choice. We had, um, for example, even when you walk into the supermarket, you'd have, uh, I think it was one washing detergent and you'd have maybe two options of margarine and stuff like that. Of course, you have the option to walk into a, into a supermarket, but that's a question around choice. Um, and so I didn't, I, I didn't grow up with the idea that I could make choices around my lifestyle. And then when I became an adult and I met, and particularly when I became a lot more active politically, I met all these people who would say a lot of stuff and like from a headspace, I agree, I understand the importance of being aware of the choices that I make around my lifestyle, what I buy, what I don't buy, where I go, how I travel, etc. Um, but at the same time, there's still a part of me that I get it from a headspace, but it doesn't resonate with my body. So I'm left like, um, yeah, I was, for example, I have been told a lot about water and I have Zora's water guilt, which I will tell you more about later. Um, and so now when I turn on water, I turn it off. But it's a learning that I'm doing and it still confuses me. Like I have choice over my lifestyle, but that's my struggle. What do you all think? Hmm. Um, yeah, so... so. I guess it's it's typical for me to start the conversation with lack and the things that I I, I don't have because um, like I'm thinking of the the, the group that I'm part of um, uh, climate liberation block uh, and our slogan is liberate lives not limbs so oftentimes you see people struggling for women rights or uh, less CO2 in the air or anti-war and because we want to do cross-movement work of seeing all this anti-oppression work being connected through systems of oppression, 
uh, we always focus on the parts that are not free yet. <laughs> so maybe you have a limb, maybe you can choose about your nail mm. polish, <laughs> but if you don't have your heart or your brains or your leg, it's like, how can we liberate the whole package and not work in silos? Um, so yeah, I think um, definitely when I think of m my childhood of choice or lack of choice, I remember being very upset when the tree in front of our house was cut down and remembering like, I have no choice whatsoever mm -hmm. over this. And like, what did that tree ever do to its community except for give us fresh air, give us shade, redistribute all sorts of nutrients in the soil for other little plants that made it through the concrete. Um, and yeah, so I think I've always been a little bit obsessed with the choices that yeah, I, 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 I feel like I, I don't have, even though I have grown up here in the Netherlands mm. with um, quite, you know, like even though we're from a poor family, it's an affluent lifestyle mm. <laughs> just by virtue of having running tap water and a roof above your head and school and all these type of things. Um, so those are some of my first thoughts when I think about personal choice and, and how I stand in that conversation. Mm -hmm. I find this part of it really interesting because um, sometimes it feels like there's there's different bubbles, right? So in some bubbles, it's all about exercising choice, and that's the main means that people can um, exemplify the things that they, they want, right? How do I know this is important? Because I choose this and not that. And definitely I have groups of friends where it's all about talking about, well, you know, you do a bunch of research before you buy a thing because you really want to make the best ethical choice and, you know, spending a lot of um, time and attention on that. Um, but it's it's total privilege, right? It's what a luxury to be able to have a problem of multiple choices and uh, the time to think about which one I will spend my money on in terms of the thing I'm going to buy next. Um, and at the same time, we do need people to be active around that, right? We actually need people to be demanding different things, demanding mm. different options and different choices. Um, and that also takes time mm. to be able to think about, but hang on, why is this the only version of this instead of another version of that that I could be asking for? And I, I read a thing recently around, um, you know, th these tests now that you can do around um, tracking your carbon footprint and what, what are the choices I'm making that have the, the maximum carbon footprint? And some of them are obvious, like airplane flying, for example. I, d I do fly for Mama Cash. Um, and others of it were things like refrigerators. And um, I was just like, oh, I, I really, I, you know, now I need to worry about my refrigerator, right? And it was some huge amount across the world of impact by all of our refrigerators mm. and it, it made such a big difference and it just hasn't been in the conversation the conversations I've been in about this and so now I'm really stressed out about my refrigerator mm -hmm. and what the two of you say from the idea of lack and also having all these choices before you just makes me think yeah like there's the way that even participating in all these choices continues to enhance capitalism because then capitalism will be like, oh, so now people want green things. Then no, we, they want real green things. And those are the new choices that we are getting. And um, and a lot of times these nice new green things cost a bit more than the other ones. So. And also like staying with the refrigerator example. So 
uh, I would choose the, 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 the clean energy refrigerator for being um, uh, as much in line with my beliefs. But then when I throw it away, I have no say in if my country just exports all sorts of e-waste mm -hmm. to Africa and dumps it there, which has a huge practice in for the longest time of dumping all sorts of computers and e-waste and frig fridges in um, different countries in Africa where it's leaking into the ground. And so like even if you have a choice in the consumption, you don't have a choice in the production and you don't have a choice in the reduction of what happens with the waste afterwards. And that's how yeah, you easily come into the topic of democracy and how, how <laughs> limited it is to our consumer choices and not into shaping our society to be um, life respecting. Uh, respecting of uh, human life and respecting of environmental uh, non-humans. I wonder then if there's space for what Zoria just said. There's two things, right? There's the individual choices and how you do all your research on it, but there's also the organizing to try and make us have different types of choices. And I don't know if either one of you could talk a little bit about what what is possible in that realm. Like, can we do organizing to have can we do and what kind of organizing is happening to to have an impact around the production piece of it and could we ever get to a point where we choose how production looks like or we choose how reduction looks like because yeah that's often legislated or mm -hmm. ignored depending on the country and the context uh, a dream project that i've just recently heard about is in cooperation jackson in the states where they're working on uh Recommoning a supermarket and um, having vegetables where you just pick the tomatoes off the plant and you keep the plant intact and you have the shelves with real um, life inside um, and having that community base so you take it off the market and you recommon it. So I think that's cooperative economy and uh, a different way of consumption. And what is recommoning? Oh, um, so it would be to uh, not put it in, in, in a market space for private profit, but to have it uh, serve the community, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> This podcast is made possible by Mama Cash. As an international fund for feminist activism, Mama Cash gives grants and other kinds of support to women, girls, trans people, and intersex people who are collectively fighting for a more just and joyous world. For today's episode, we got in touch with one of our grantee partners who are doing incredible work around the issue of climate justice. Hello, I'm Claudia Samcam from Fondo Centroamericano de Mujeres, FECAM, the Central American Women's Fund. We are a feminist fund dedicated to mobilize resources to support women's organizations working towards the rights in Central America. In FECAM, we believe that there is an intrinsic link between feminist, feminism and environmental justice. In Latin America, there is a strong thinking around territories and the bodies of women that translates in an analysis on how the logic that exploits and violates women's bodies is similar to the logic that exploits and violates our territories. Women, particularly at the grassroots levels, are fighting for life, are fighting to ensure a planet in which humankind not only survives, 
but has all the possibilities to develop in balance with other species and the ecosystem. First, uh, for FECAM, it's not possible to speak about the protection of the environment without connecting them to human rights and therefore to women's rights. And we have a concrete program focused on environmental issues that supports uh, women organizing in Central America uh, to make visible their struggles, uh, ensure they have a seat at the table, and the voices and their voices are heard in the policy development and the implementation. Um, and we make our best to connect environmental justice program with all of our programs. So, for example, supporting young women initiatives to organize themselves and participate more actively in the movement around climate justice. But also, we believe that uh, we are stronger when we work together and that there is a contribution that FECAM can make uh, to environmental justice organizations and groups in ensuring that they also have a focus on women and they understand the relevance of women and why women should be part of, of, of this conversation. Do you want to learn more about our work, the work of our grantee partners and how you can help support them too? Then please head over to www.mamacash.org. On our website, you can also learn how to sign up for our newsletter and be the first to hear news and stories about feminist activism all around the world. So let's talk a little bit more about capitalism, climate change, feminism, all of our favorite topics, and thinking about greenwashing and wokewashing and the idea of consumer power. Uh, we are led to believe that where we choose to eat, shop, get our information can make a real difference to the world. But does it really have an impact? Or is it more about fashioning an image of who we want to believe ourselves to be? I just laugh thinking like whoever sold us this pro this proposition to begin with, <laughs> whoever convinced us uh, that we are consumers, um, I think the whole consumer power thing comes from a consumerism framework where if you think you are a consumer, then either left or right, you are going to consume. That's all the choice that you have through consumption. Whereas if you retake your life and think of yourself as a human, human uh, in, as a word comes from uh, earth, um, so that would make us earthlings. Then our scope of choice opens up to such a wide range of how we can uh, choose to um, be on this earth. And that would also imply things that we don't need money for. <laughs> uh, like you don't need money to occupy or shut down uh, infrastructure of uh, fossil fuel industry. Um, you need to be a big group. You need people and you need people power and people willpower. Um, so yeah, with consumerism, I, I, I feel this innate thing, like however did we get to monetize our skill of choice? If you live a $1 a day, how much do you choose with your consumer power? <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're, you're voting with your dimes, even if you're a millionaire, you're voting with your dimes against the trillions. Uh, that the amount of um, uh, fossil fuels that we need to keep in the ground uh, requires us to pretty much burn $100 trillion. That's how much stranded assets it would require. 
So like wanting to do that, it takes political power, it takes political struggle. You can't, cons if, if, you, if you stay within the consumer bubble, you're pretty much bringing yourself off topic to where you can really make a change, where your choices <laughs> actually matter to achieve that change. What do you think, Happy? First, my mind is... Yeah, it's like, what's the word? I'm doing the, the action with my with my hands of and mind you can't blowing. see that. Mind blown, that's the word. Because I love the idea of um, <clears throat> earthling and what stepping out of the thinking of ourselves as consumers because that immediately limits the things that we can and can't do. So I get that. At the same time, there's a part of me that wonders... Um, how to is it is it possible maybe no i think it is is it necessary to still hold both things because for sure there's there's the need for us to exist outside the consumer frame and resist build imagine create like the the, the idea of the supermarket where you literally pick the tomato from the tree and dig the potato from the soil i want to live in that world and I'm not living in that world. So in this world, where's the bridge? <laughs> is the there, incremental change? No, is there? I don't know. Like, you know, is it burn it all down? And how does it? How do we do that? But at the same time, when we leave this uh, recording, I'm gonna go to the supermarket and I'm gonna buy my grapes from a plastic container, right? Like that's how the thing. That's how life is constructed that's in this the choices moment, right? that you have been given at this moment exactly Choice. right um <laughs> so is there is there yeah is there a way of holding those two things and going back to the beginning of for me the contradictions of sometimes contradictions are because of what i do and don't do mm -hmm. sometimes contradictions are just built into the system um as long as i understand that the world operates in a different way i will see this contradiction because I'm not in a place right now where I can go to the, or it costs me in other ways to go to the place where I can pick the grape from the tree. Hmm. Um, so I could, right? But I'd have to do many other things, which would still Well, here cost. in the Netherlands, blackberries grow naturally, right? At, at bushes, mm -hmm. but it's illegal to pick them. Yeah. Um, so that you could risk a fine if you do something totally natural yeah. so yeah it costs you something to to exercise natural uh rights and i i i i hear you i mean uh i also go to the supermarket i'm, I'm i live in a city um i just yeah i think when it comes to consumer choices uh i i have conversation with friends um but i try to always have them not um from a point of shame because I think consumerism uses shame, weaponizes shame mm -hmm. for, for, for upselling shit. Um, whereas it's more about accountability and externalizing your own motivation into your behavior. So if I want to be a climate justice activist, how can I externalize that in the little things that I do in daily life? So that's like how I take care of my trash or how I uh, try to live with my trash or uh, not overuse things, uh, not, I don't fly for holidays, I only fly for projects, and then I have a minimum amount of time, or like it has to be overseas, that I can't just take the bus. So I think that conversation can be around accountability, how do we hold ourselves and others accountable 
But I think capitalism feasts on our shame and our personal shame and our siloed individuals that are assessing ourselves or being good or being bad and just don't want to give it the satisfaction. And I see some nodding, so I'm curious. Because that's exactly where I was ending up after, after you just spoke. Happy, I was thinking about how we police each other. Mm. And um, feminists can be quite good at that. And, and this is the new way, right? This is the new way in which we can um, position ourselves and kind of ch- check with each other, like how, yeah, how down are you? How woke are you? Like, what are you up to? Mm-hmm. Um, how real are you? How invested are you in this, in this thing we're trying to do together? And it, it turns into that. It turns into like, oh, I, I got my grapes here. Well, actually, I went down the road and got them here. Oh, well, I actually grew them last week on my very own <laughs> plot or whatever, right? Like it just becomes this ridiculous situation. And I was thinking about that, how we do that to each other because because reasons, because of all the, all the reasons we fall into around um, just wanting to be seen to be doing the right thing, wanting to be doing the right thing, and then wanting to be seen to be doing the right thing. And what a distraction that is Mm. from what we actually need to be doing. And so we spend so much of our energy and investment in trying to do the best we can, coming back to, again, what you said to your among such limited options, because all these other options are just not in the frame. They're completely off the table. They're not even in the same room. And so we're competing with each other to do the best we can within this very small room. And then there's just the whole rest of the world outside of this room doing whatever it wants that is actually undermining every every good effort I make at not using a plastic straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes me think of um, a talk I was at by Sonia Renee Taylor. Uh, last week uh, she talks about the body is not an apology and also about how there's this whole new market of of of, of shaming and and that they've noticed that now self-esteem selling you self-esteem or selling you that mm-hmm. good feeling is just another way of shaming you it's an economic play um, but they're just selling it in a new package so they they know that that the, the old shame doesn't work anymore and now they, they have the green shame <laughs> um, just a, another flavor welcome back it's time for our feminist mishaps because well nobody's perfect and we're all human so Chihiro when is the last time you did something that made you think oh my god I hope there aren't any feminists watching right now because I'm gonna get kicked out of this you know feminist club oh um yeah um so this weekend only this weekend um climate liberation block was organizing uh, a whole weekend of cross movement uh building on racism patriarchy and climate politics and how to do anti-oppression work and in the beginning we had with the whole group with the participants i'm an organizer this spectrum line of um, how long have you been in the climate movement Uh, one day or 30 years and you line up everybody and I was like totally on the most experienced side and then how long have you been in racism and doing anti-racism work I was lining up and still kind of on the side with most people like most experienced people and then the question came how long have you been a feminist and I was like uh, how long can I call myself a feminist? 
how because i start counting the moment not that you show up for other people's party uh action but when do you start organizing in it mm-hmm. I was like, hey, maybe 2017 and i had to make that walk of shame all the way to the side of like the beginners because all of like <laughs> these participants were like way longer in uh in the struggle than i was and yeah it just it, yeah, it, it was humbling let's just call it that but also a little bit shameful <laughs> thanks Chihiro <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> do you have a feminist aha moment of your own those of you listening send us your confessions anonymously if you wish and we may share it on a future episode you can reach us on twitter at mamacash or by email at ttea at mamacash.org so we were talking a lot about consumption, greenwashing, woke washing, capitalism, all the ways that um, these things are, are really problematic. And yet we're trying to exercise choice within that. And one of the things I wanted to talk about and have us think about was the way women are particularly targeted by companies through marketing to, to do things and buy things, consume things as women problems are generated for us that we then have to solve through the market. So, for example, body hair shaming, right? We didn't have a problem with body hair. Gillette created a problem of body hair on women's legs and then is selling us the razors that are going to help us solve our body hair problem. And these razors are plastic and disposable. And we could say the same thing about makeup, the entire makeup industry, right? What's wrong with your face? There's nothing wrong with your face. But you, you need to beautify it in very particular ways, right? Certain lipsticks, eyeshadows. Now there's, I don't even know, a whole bunch of things that are very particular, right? That this little gadget does this exact thing to your eyebrows that you probably need now because your eyebrows are the wrong shape. And then we buy it and for sure it's disposable or has some kind of environmental impact when you're thinking of microbeads and all these sorts of things. Um, Happy, you also have strong feelings about this. Yeah. <clears throat> so a couple of episodes back, we talked about menstruation and how patriarchy has put so much shame around women and menstruating and folks who bleed every month. And at the same time now, especially when you talk about in, in activist circles, all the pressure to not use disposable pads and like like we first have to deal, not only do we have to deal with all our feelings and shame around bleeding every month like we have to deal with that and we also have to figure out how to deal with the environmental impact of this thing that we now use to be able to continue to move around the world in the quote-unquote proper ways of moving around the world like oh so I have feelings around that and it is it's been constructed by patriarchy how feelings around menstruation and then capitalism gives us a solution but actually tells us this solution is messing up the environment so now we need oh my gosh too many things um or even with diapers so a lot of times it's uh people who've been gendered as female who are left to the responsibility of taking care of kids so in the midst of trying to figure out how do I not kill this child and feed them and whatnot I need to figure (laughs) out the the right type of diaper and where to buy it and how to wash it and wash it in ways that I'm not using too much water or sending too much um, detergent into the ocean. But wait, my baby needs to eat. Okay, I, you get my frantic feelings. I always have, th- that's the, f- the way I'm talking about it is the way I feel inside around the the way that, yeah, we've been constructed by capitalism, patriarchy, heterosexism, racism to be certain types of quote unquote proper bodies. And then... At the same time, we have to 
consume certain things and in this consumer frame that Chihiro said as consumers then we also have to be good consumers or ethical consumers and yeah I just sit back like I can't take this (laughs) and I think that's at the end you know like and then they'll find a product <laughs> for you to deal with your depression. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> so every step along the way, they'll have you uh, uh, f- fall or stumble into a new problem that there will only be a market solution for. And that is like why I think it's so important to take that big look. It's it's good to be concrete. It's good to see like what are the concrete things that we are actually you know, like facing, but like, why is that so? And why is that so that that already for centuries, there's been uh, an ideology that is cheapening life, it's cheapening life of nature, it's cheapening life of all the people of the world that have been considered nature. And that was women, that was indigenous people, that was people of color for the longest time. And on the one hand, cheapening life, and on the other side, making life more expensive for the humans that are called society. So that's this huge contradiction that 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 is creating this huge rift of forever being more torn and the more torn you are, you are sold a pill <laughs> to fix yourself because it can't be the system. Um, so um, yeah, and, 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 and finally, what you mentioned also with, with, with the diapers, we time is also kind of weaponized against us Mm -hmm. because we have to be more and more productive for unpaid labor Um, and then you know we choose some choices uh, that are on the table that are are less time consuming right so that the quickest fix um, and we're not in charge of, of 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 the production line of that so so that yeah, I think then then you just run into a whole shit show of toxic choices. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah. Um, so, Chihiro, we have you here as our guest, and we look to you. <laughs> for all Not the really. answers of Not- the earthlings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but to tell us a little bit about the activism you are involved with, um, mm. and what you've been up to to try to square some of these these difficult dilemmas, and advance a different way of thinking through collective organizing, right? Trying to get different choices onto the table, trying to think about these things differently. Tell us more. Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, So Climate Liberation Block came from individuals in the climate movement who felt constrained with only talking about um, carbon up in the air and emissions going down because so much of climate politics, and I would stress here, the politics is the problem, not the climate. We don't have a climate to save. We have politics to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so much of the climate movement was, yeah, obsessed with the science, um, but being a person of color, I'm skeptical towards science and science that's called people of color uh, inferior or whatever. So I, united with a bunch of other activists who shared the the need to become more intersectional and make cross-movement alliances to do anti-oppression work and basically say we need to be decolonial we need to be political because apolitical doesn't get us free 
And the way we do that is um, we started with making very basic interventions in protest by making different types of banners and not just saying, hey, save Earth because we're the only planet with chocolate, which you see in climate protests, unfortunately, but having banners that says uh, climate doesn't do colonization. People do fix people first um, or climate doesn't do border. People do <laughs> fix people first. Um, and then we, we, we made more and more interventions within institutions, so NGOs, uh, but also grassroots organizations by giving trainings on the intersections of climate and class, climate and race, climate and gender, and get these topics on the table because they inform our actions, our collective actions. As people think of activists usually as people with a banner and spare time to walk through the street. Um, but an activist is uh, a person working towards uh, collective change without uh, uh, the money or the guns, <laughs> because those are institutionalized in our army and in our uh, government or in our corporate being. So like looking how to get active and collective from the grassroots um, to, to push for uh, things that actually uh, give back parts of our lives as earthlings, <laughs> uh, as beings, and uh, uh, as indigenous uh, organizer Winona LaDuke uh, um, often says, it's like it's about improving all of our relations. So understanding that um, activism isn't just about doing, but it's about improving your relations. So your anti-oppression work is also about detoxifying your movements and the racism that lives inside of our movements to be effective. Um, so that's that's the big strokes. And um, yeah, then concretely what we're doing is um, now this year specifically more on climate and racism, getting that on the agenda. So if you talk to me about what are the solutions, then we need to start talking about climate reparations. And we need to start talking about um, um, our borders <laughs> and how ridiculous they are and then we need to start talking about um, decision-making models and getting that uh, reclaiming uh, this decision from the grassroots so we have choi real choices in in based in the community so if you see like ejidos in the common lands in in Mexico what have been fought over for a long time like getting those choices back into community giving more rights also to nature, to rivers, to mountains, to exist and exist free of pollution. Uh, that is the work that we're laying the foundations for. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, I, wa I was actually just thinking very recently um, about the stories that get privileged, right? The, the faces of the climate mm -hmm. crisis that get put in front of us to mobilize us to feel mm. like oh no this is serious whose voices we're listening to right now um who are persuasive voices compelling voices i i believe in what they're saying the voices that shape the problem yes and and yet they are they are following a long line of other voices that we have systematically ignored and and deliberately silenced and people who have named the problem in different ways and who articulate different kinds of options and we we don't get to hear from them because of because of how things are going now 
And very recently there there were things like, you know, we're watching the ice caps melt and there's these polar bears, these lone polar bears stranded on ice caps and things like this. And meanwhile, there are also people mm-hmm. getting submerged in different parts of the world, but we don't have those images. We have we have the polar bear. Yeah, when you talk about Extinction Rebellion being a new phenomena and being <coughs> white and UK driven, when there have been people around the world fighting against extinction and rebelling against extinction for centuries, I think it's clear where the intelligence lies for survival and mm-hmm. and um, and and resilience uh, mechanisms, and it's it's not a coincidence that eighty uh, percent of biodiversity is on the land of indigenous people. Um, there's so much wisdom, not just about nature, but about um, intergenerational trauma processing uh, and that intergenerational wisdom that then goes into how to heal the fragmented because right now our whole earth is fragmented it's so broken it's so uh, like so much has been depleted so much has been polluted so much um, disrespect has been paid so thinking about also how to how to heal ourselves I think it's in the communities um, that have lived environmental deprivation uh, a land grabbing, uh, um, water theft. This is where the real leadership is found. And there's, I love Greta and I love what she's doing, but there's a reason why Greta is known and Autumn Pelche uh, in Canada, a 13 year old that was addressing the UN already years ago, a water protector is not known. And that, that's power <laughs> and our, our, our white saviorism and who gets platform. So yeah, definitely. I think if there's 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 always these list of three easy things to do. I think we need a list of like three hard things to do, and uh, it would start with like getting active and collective to shut down a fossil fuel industry because we can't afford to keep burning anything. Um, and then read your heroes. Listen to Jackie Patterson, who's been working all our life. Listen to Lady Nuckbill. Listen to. Um, Winona LaDuke, who I mentioned earlier, there's so many inspiring uh, women from all over the world that uh, are not at the center of framing our environmental crisis, but have beautiful wisdom. And what's the third thing? Oh, yeah, the third thing. Ah, oh, um, the third thing. I would say. And this is where we get back to the body and the brokenness inside ourselves and the way we've internalized a lot of the oppression. So I think there's a lot of healing work or support and recovery work that we need to do within our own movements or societies or communities that is more like, again, coming back to Sonia Renee Taylor, if it if it doesn't live in the body, we simply don't have the tools to bring it out. Um, so that is that very personal work uh, in our in our bodies and in our community. Thank you so much, Shihiro, for joining us. It has been, for me, I hope also for you listeners, an amazing and mind-blowing conversation. Um, thanks for taking time. Thanks for sharing your ideas, your energy, your heart with us. Um, it has been an honor 
I've definitely enjoyed it. And Shihiro, where can we learn more about the amazing work that the Climate Liberation Block is doing? Oh, uh, yeah. So please come and check us out on Facebook. That's where we post our events or post our uh, thoughts. And uh, it would be lovely to continue conversation there. Amazing. Thanks, everyone, for listening once again. You can find Mama Cash on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or online at www.mamacash.org. And you can find Tea with Mama Cash on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. And if you're listening to this right now, um, you're hearing these words, we want to hear from you. It would be really lovely if you took a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, we want to hear what you think. What are the things that you'd love to you'd love us to do more of or less of or new things? It doesn't have to be really long or eloquent. Just a few words about why you listen to this podcast, what you think of it. Um, and this will really help us to reach more listeners. So if you think more people would listen to this and enjoy listening to the podcast please always let us know and you can always reach us with questions feedback or ideas at t that's t-e-a at mamacash.org and we're your hosts zora musa and happy monday kenyili signing, signing off, off until, until the, the next time. time so this podcast was produced by amanda gigler mike markovich and sophia sewell our colleagues at mamacash